Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. About three years ago, the magazine called Psychology Today did a little bit of an interesting study. Uh, the name of the article that they had was called, It's Not All About You. <laughs> By the way, I think that's one of the key Christian truths of all time. It's not about you. When you get that understanding, you really become something more than you are today. If it's all about you, talk about being stymied. Uh, you've got a serious ceiling, and it's right above your head. But if you think it's about somebody else, now, how do we get to that point where I don't think it's all about me anymore, but I'm thinking in terms of something else beyond me? Well, so the article was about awe, A-W-E. Psychology Day said, listen, people who have a sense of awe and a sense of wonder have already decided it's not about me. There's something more than me. Now, this is a secular article, right? This is not something that uh, Psychology Today said, let's, let's write a great Christian manifesto on the awfulness of God. They didn't do that. But they did say some interesting things. University of Pennsylvania researchers, they, they went to them and said, now, how do you define awe? And they said this, awe is the emotion of self-transcendence. In other words, something beyond me. A feeling of admiration and elevation in the face of something greater than yourself. That's all. Uh, They went to a popular theoretical physicist and asked him, hey, tell us about awe. And he said, awe gives you an existential shock. It's removing you from the tyranny of the ego. I like that. Because until you see the awefulness of God, you are in tyranny of yourself. Then, They went to a therapist, Robert Leahy. And Dr. Leahy was asked, tell us about awe. And he said, awe is the opposite of rumination. It clears away the inner turmoil with a wave of outer immensity. (laughs) In other words, you clear out all that is you in here that you're struggling with, and all of a sudden you can see an outer immensity that will raise your ceiling. I I love those things. But I tell you what, I love them. No more than when I read Isaiah 6. What an incredible, incredible pack of verses here. Isaiah 6 has Isaiah saying, In the year that King Isaiah died. Now, let's talk about King Isaiah. Isaiah was a a great king of Israel, uh, of Judah. Basically what had happened was he had enlarged Judah's territory. And that's always a great king. If you can get us bigger, hallelujah. But not only that, he expanded her army and improved her agriculture. Now, those are things that you think, well, that's, no, in those days, that's everything. If you're enlarging yourself, and you can eat, and not only eat, but eat well, and if you've got an army that can shut everything that's coming at you down, you've done something. Then one day, Isaiah's feeling pretty good about himself. He lost the awfulness of God, and he decides, I'm going to perform some priestly duties inside the temple. Oh, no, 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 no. It says not to do that in Torah. Don't. That's not the king's business. That's the priest's business. He goes in and he does it, and his chronicle says, 80 priests thereafter confront him. Some people think Isaiah was one of those guys. 80 priests confront him, and he breaks out in leprosy. 
and he dies a leper. By the way, leprosy means you can't even go in the temple. They won't let you in, not even as king of the land. Whoa! All of a sudden now he is unclean. He recognizes, I've messed it up good, and then he dies. And so Isaiah says, in the year the king Isaiah died, and it means something. Here was a guy that was leading us back to greatness. Here was a king that had been in office for decades, and now he gets struck with leprosy, and he dies. And in this emotional and spiritual turmoil, Isaiah says, that king is now aside. And I saw another king. <laughs> Y'all, everybody, every nation in the world needs to do that. All of a sudden, I recognize, oh, how far back do we need to go here? That uh, the Clinton's not the man. He's the man. All of a sudden, I recognize that the Bush family is not the family. Oh, no, no, no. There's a family called Father, Son, and Spirit. That's the family. All of a sudden, Barack Obama is not the greatest thing since lost spread. No, no, no. You want a real greatness? It's there. All of a sudden now, Donald Trump, let's make America great again. The only one that can make America great, if indeed we ever could be great, would be the great one of all the universe. And that's how we begin articulating our faith. Oh, we see the Lord. And Isaiah is given this experience. And he <laughs> sees the Lord. I see the real king. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. My eyes have seen the king. He is the Lord of hosts. He is God Almighty. So, four things I believe Isaiah learned that we need to learn as well when we see the king. The first thing is this. Isaiah learned about his holiness. Remember now, holy, holy, holy. That is the descriptor that you use when you see God. Not love, not mercy, not compassion, not righteousness, He's all those things, but the word that encompasses all those things is the word kadosh. In the Hebrew, kadosh, which is holy, holy, holy. And y'all, we need to recognize and worship a holy, holy, holy God on a regular basis. And when we see him in his holiness, it will change us. Now, that word kadosh in the Old Testament had three or four or five basic meanings. I think they come down to about three and that is brilliance. When you see God, it will be a shining holiness, a shining personality. It will blind you. See, the seraphs, the seraphs are called fiery ones. That's what the word seraph means. And so the seraphs are fiery ones. The seraph sees him, and the seraph says, man, I'm on fire, but that brilliance is more than my brilliance. I'm covering up. And he covered himself up. Now, he kept his wings going. <laughs> he kept flapping away here. But everything else, he's covering up saying, "Woo! that's brighter than I am. That's more brilliant than I am. And indeed it is. Y'all, he is a brilliant God. Next thing Kadosh means is he is wholly other. He is not like you. He is different than you. And Isaiah sees it. Whoa, he's brilliant. He's wholly other. He's not like me. He's not like anything I've ever seen. Whoa, holy, holy, holy. And then this. He is morally pure. Isaiah says, wow, he's brilliant. I'm not. He says he's wholly other, and I'm not. And he is morally pure. He is clean. He 
is unlike all the gods of Canaan. All the gods of Canaan, they're all out to get what they want out of life. Here's a God that says, oh no, I'm morally pure. I exist for you. And I want you to know because I want you to be righteous, I am righteous. He says, I want you to know that I am clean and I want you to be clean. I am holy. I want you to be holy. And so he is brilliant. He is holy other. He is morally pure. And here's the real point, and we are not. I heard a professor this week uh, talk about, in a chapel message, he talked about a special speaker that came to campus. It wasn't our campus. special speaker that came to campus. He says, and he came and he started giving a talk on meditation. How do you meditate? He said, let me tell you how I do it. I go into the bathroom. I... Uh, turn down all the lights, I sink deep into the bathtub, and I start looking deep within myself. Can I tell you something? That ain't the way to meditate. That's not the way to get her done. You do not look deep within yourself because the deeper you go into yourself, the more you will know I'm not brilliant, I'm not other, and I'm not morally pure. I'm a sick, sick puppy, and I need something beyond myself. But sometimes you say, no, I never need anything beyond myself. You just go deeper into you, into you, into you, and pretty soon you're worshiping you. And y'all, if there's anything that you could declare about America, and sometimes even evangelical America, that's us. We worship us. And God's got a bigger and a better plan for us. Dennis Kinlaw says this, There are two great movements in a person's life. There is sanctification and there is entire sanctification. There is salvation and whole salvation. He says, now when you get saved, you start walking with God. You start walking with Jesus. In fact, that's what Jesus says. Come walk with me, follow me, come along with me. And the more you walk with Jesus, the more you find out, whoa, I've got a deeper sin problem than I thought I had. I thought of salvation, I'd given him everything, and now I learn... There's other stuff I need to give him. And that's why there's a second great movement of the Spirit in a person's life. There is something called the fullness of the Spirit. Spiritual wholeness. Entire sanctification. There's a second great thing that has to happen after salvation to say, I recognize now what's at issue. It's me. i got to give it up. And you'll never get up until you have seen God for what he is and he is holy Holy, holy. The second thing here, Isaiah learns. He learns about his own sin and the sin around him. Listen, uh, I'm, I just wanted to read this to you. You can look it up if you want. It's a chapter 5. Over and over again in chapter 5, Isaiah says this. Woe is you. In verse 8, for instance. Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room so that you have to live alone in the midst of the land. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may pursue strong drink. Woe to those who drag iniquity with the cords of the falsehood and sin as if it had cart ropes. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine. Now get a load of this. Because of all those woes, verse 24, therefore, as a tongue of fire consumes stubble and dry grass collapses into flame, so their root will become like rot and their blossom blow away as dust, for they've rejected the law of the Lord of hosts. As a tongue of fire consumes stubble. See what's just happened? 
Woe is you. Woe is you. Woe is you. Woe is you. And fire's coming for you. And then he says, Woe, I see the Lord. Woe is me. I am a man of uncleanliness. I am a man of sin. And I need the fire of God to touch me. And the fire of God did. And guess what? After that, Isaiah's ready to live a life he's never lived before. Y'all, we need to see God. We need to see the Lord for who He is. He is holy, holy, holy. He is a God of fire, but He's also a God that will first turn you to yourself and your sin before He tells you about other people's sin. We've got to be healed before we can be healers. Amen? And so this whole thing. You ever heard this one before, by the way? How is it that a God of love can send a man to hell? If you're like me, you think, well, let me struggle with that. Let me try to talk quick here and get myself out of this jam. Don't do that anymore. Quit talking quick and trying to get yourself out of a jam. Just say this. There's a better question. How can a God of holiness take a sinner to heaven? That's the question. Not how can a God of love put a man to hell, but how can a God of holiness take a sinner to heaven? That's the question. Three people sitting in your chair right now. I bet you thought there's only one. There's three people right in your chair. There's a person you hope you are. (laughs) There's a person others think you are. And there's a person that God knows you are. The person you think you are, the person others think you are, and the person God knows beyond a shadow of any kind of doubt who is. Now, Isaiah probably thought he was a pretty decent guy. You know? I try to live by Torah. I'm a good guy. Uh, I'm a righteous guy. I, uh, I do my duty in the temple. I'm smart. I'm connected. I mean, everything that God wants in a guy, I'm that guy. To his peers, Isaiah was a man of unquestioned integrity, of righteousness, and of virtue. But when he caught just one glimpse of a holy God and just one look, that's all it took. It took God to reveal his sin and his guilt. And when he felt it, he knew something beyond himself had to happen to take care of this sin and take care of this guilt. Then this. Isaiah learned about moral purity and his need for it. He knew, I am not pure, I am not clean, and I need help. Bobby Moore was an England soccer captain back in 1966. And they'd won, I'd kind of forgotten this, they'd won the World Cup. England won the World Cup. And uh, boy, the the whole nation's thrilled. In fact, everybody's so thrilled that they said, there's only one thing to do when we all get as excited as we're excited right now, and that is, you need to meet with the Queen. So it happens. They arrange for Bobby Moore to meet the Queen. She is going to give him the trophy. And it's arranged. So someone asked him afterwards, hey, tell me how that felt going up to the queen. He says, well, it was a little bit of a panic, honestly. He says, well, how come? Well, when I was going up to her, I all of a sudden noticed that she had on white gloves. And I looked down at my hands, and I'd just been playing soccer. And they were dirty. So I'm walking up to see the queen of England, and I'm looking down thinking, I got dirty hands, and I'm looking at her hands, and... And, and, 
he just he starts wiping. <laughs> just as fast as he could, he starts wiping. And he's got no, he's got no time to go to the bathroom or anything. He's just wiping, trying to get his, the mud off of his hands. And then he keeps wiping his hands on his shorts. Then there's velvet cloth that's right in front of the royal box. He actually went to the velvet cloth and tried to get, get this dirt off my hands. and says, oh, I want to be clean for the queen. And there's an author named Vaughn Roberts that says this. Can you imagine if, Bill, if Bobby Moore was worried about approaching the queen with muddy hands? Well, you and I ought to feel like seeing God and approaching Him. We got a whole lot more than muddy hands. We are going to go see God. And He doesn't wear white gloves. He is pure from His hands, from His feet, all the way within. And that purity is brilliant. And it shines forth. And we know for sure, I am a person of an unclean life. For I've seen him, and I'm not him. I need cleansing. Now, I don't know if anybody here today feels a need for cleansing. But I can assure you, when we see a holy God, we have a whole different perspective on life as well we should. The last thing is this. Isaiah learned about a willingness to serve. One of the greatest sins Christians commit is answering God with a question. <laughs> you know, there's really only one thing to say when God asks you to do something. Basically what you say, two words. Yes, sir. That's what you say. What you don't say is something like this. Uh, so exactly... Where do you want me to go? Because, you know, I kind of like uh, the East Coast. I'm not real fond, however, of Eastern Europe. Or what is it you want me to give? I mean, I know you just asked me to go. You just want me to take off here and do something. But I'd like to know how much do I have to give? I want to know. Can I still have a big family? I want to know, can I, and any question you have there is absolutely Inappropriate. One of the greatest sins we have is when God says, do this, we have a question for him first. Now, you might say, yes, sir, whatever you want. Now I've got some questions. That's probably appropriate. Because I want to know what you want me to do. I'd just like to know. But not first. You say, yes, sir. This is what happened here in this situation. Who's going to go? And because... He has seen God as brilliant because he's seen God as other. He's seen God as morally pure. He has seen his own sin. He has been cleansed now by fire. He is so excited. His hand goes up and says, here I am. Woo! Then he's told, I'm going to send you in a really pitiful situation. And it ain't going to get much better. I'm going to tell you all, some of us would say, well, then I got a better place to invest my life. And the Lord says, no, that's what I got planned for you. You said, yes, sir. You said, here I am. That's what I got planned. Are you willing and ready to go? Friend here, David Sheffield, done a great job with Celebrate Recovery. Uh, done a great job of getting out of prison himself and living an exemplary life. And he's a, he's a key reason 
why Day Springs doing so much and so much good. But David has said to me at least a dozen times. In fact, Dave, just official, I'm getting tired of it. But I'm not getting tired of it because I say it all the time too. He says there is a key. There's a key to people who come out of prison and make it and people who come out of prison and don't and go back in. By the way, one of us, Austin, I think, actually mentioned this to a, to a guy that's not yet coming to this church. We believe he will someday soon. But uh, he says, I want to do a study. I want to do a dissertation based on what happens to day springers. I'm going to do an interview with day spring guys that once were incarcerated. I want to know, what did you do to stay in the Lord's hand? Then he says, uh, I'm going to go out there to the prison and just ask, hey, did you receive the Lord and leave and come right back? I want to talk to you. What happened that you came right back? And just study, not, not a lot, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten persons apiece and just ask that question. David says, I know the answer. I know the answer. Well, tell us, Dave, what's the answer? So Austin, apparently, Rick doesn't have to do the dissertation. He just needs to talk to David, all right? David knows the answer. But I got, I got, the, I got the feeling that David's going to be right. He says, at least one of the, David said it's the key. I'll say it's probably two or three keys. But one of the key keys is this. They serve other people in a strong ministry after they get out of jail. If you serve, then you will continue a life outside of jail. If you don't, go ahead and call ahead and tell them you're coming. Might be in a year, might be in five years, but you're coming back. You know something? We've lived long enough to see it, haven't we? That's what happens a lot of time. I was on the radio one day, and there was two authors I was talking to. One was a, was a youth expert. The second one was a youth expert. They'd both written books. They both were sitting on different data, but this is what happened. I asked both of them this. They say that we're losing our kids from the church, that kids don't want to plug back into the church after they get a chance to make their own decisions. So what do we do to combat that? And both authors sitting on two different piles of data said this. They said the same thing. Parents need to serve with their kids outside the church. When they serve Jesus with their kids outside the church, those kids will inevitably say yes to the church and yes, sir, to this God. I just thought that's fascinating. Why? Because it's the same thing, David. How do you keep a kid interested in Jesus? You get them serving. That's why I'm so proud of you guys of this program you do called Carpe Diem. Because one of the key dynamics of Carpe Diem is, hey, we want to serve. Hey, we're going to serve. And one of the, since we got everybody here, Lana, I love to see what you do with your daughters on a regular basis. Let's go in and serve. It's a beautiful thing, y'all. But can I tell you the truth? It's rarely done. And that's why we're losing our kids. I'm going to tell you, it's rarely done. That's why we're losing our prisoners. 85% will head right back to prison. Y'all, I see the Lord, don't you? And He's a holy, holy, holy God. And there are implications of that for our lives. There are service implications, no question about it. There are moral implications, no question about it. There are sin implications, no question about it. And there are brilliant, holy other Impurity implication, no doubt about it. Do you see him? Do you see the holy, holy, 
holy God of Israel working in your life. Because if you do, just like for Isaiah, there are implications to that holy God. Some of you don't know Jesus today. You haven't yet committed your life to him. I just real quietly under your breath, you don't have to say it out loud, but I like everybody to say this prayer. If you haven't yet committed your life to him, this is your prayer. Dear God, I thank you for loving me. I thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. And God, today I know I'm a sinner. I've broken your heart a hundred times, thousands of times. I've broken my family's heart, my friend's heart. I've broken my heart. Lord, I deserve to go to hell. I'm sorry. I want to change the way I've been living. But I know I can't do it. I need you to change me. So I ask you to come into my life right now. Forgive me of all my sins, Lord. Cleanse me. Wash me. Get rid of everything that's not you. And I trust right now that you're hearing my prayer. That you're keeping your word. That you're coming into my heart right now. To forgive me and to make me a Christian. To make me like you. Thank you, God, for saving me. Anybody say that with me right now? Thank you, God, for saving me. If you've prayed that prayer, I'd love to know about it. If you've committed your life to Jesus today, let's talk more about it. Lord, we're here today. We offer our lives up to you. Give us a vision of you like we've never had before so we can live for you and in your service like we never had before. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. You are our holy, holy, holy God. Father, Son, and Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, Dayspring. Thank you.